Well, have you ever thought about what you would do if, if you realized that this would be your last week? That, that you knew, you suddenly became aware of your, that this was your final days, that, that you knew not only the time, but the place, that you knew the how, that it would all end, that how would you walk out your final days? Well, Jesus, he was incredibly aware of this. And so Passion Week, what it is, is it's, just, it's the final week of Jesus's life and ministry before his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. And so when we begin to look at Jesus's final week, it gives us some insight into what he found to be incredibly important. Now, I don't know about you, but if it was my final week, if I became aware of that, there would be some things I'd do, right? And I'm on my bucket list. I'd have some things I'd want to knock off of that, things I'd want to get done. It would be completely selfish and self Centered. It would be about me and that. I'd want to spend time with my family, right? To just go, to be with them, to enjoy them. And I'd probably start putting my affairs in order, right? And just making sure that, that people are taken care of, that things are taken care of. And so I've titled tonight's message this, Taking Care of Business. And I've titled that because that's what Jesus did. And Jesus was aware of when his life would end, how it would end, the time, the place, every detail he was incredibly aware, acutely aware of what was taking place. And so his final week, Jesus really began to do some things and minister to his disciples and just prepare the way for the coming of, of his church, his ecclesia, um, after his crucifixion. And so again, I've titled tonight's message, Taking Care of Business. And we're gonna look at Jesus's final week. And so um, yesterday was Sunday, and we call that Palm Sunday as we come into Passion Week. And so what Palm Sunday is, if, if you're not aware of that, um, it was Jesus's triumphal entry. And so he'd made it back to Jerusalem. He was with his disciples. This is gonna be his final week. And so the first thing he does is he shows up into Jerusalem because everybody was showing up for the Passover meals. All the devout Jews, they would come together and just begin to celebrate things and, and to come together for that. And so they would go to the temple and they would make these pilgrimages. And so Jesus does that on Palm Sunday, as he comes into the city, um, people begin just to celebrate him because they think Jesus is going to come as an earthly king. They think he's going to overthrow the Romans and just cast them out and begin to raise up the nation of Israel again, to raise it back to its previous glory, um, if you could say that. And, and so they just, they celebrated him. It was like um, just a parade into town, waving palm branches and just a huge celebration. And so after he made it to the temple, he kind of, he looked around and then it says he went back to Bethany, and so he left Jerusalem. And so today we're going to focus on Jesus' second day of Passion Week. And so um, Jesus is Monday as he's just preparing for what's going on. And so the thing that he did next um, in Mark 11, verse 15, it says, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, so they'd went to Bethany, and this is the next day when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out people, buying and selling animal sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. And so um, Jesus' next day, he goes into the temple, and he causes a bit of a ruckus. And so there's some things I want to point out, because... Obviously, we've never been to temple, and we've especially never been to temple um, when Jesus went to temple. And so there's some crucial things that we can miss, that we can overlook in this passage. And so the temple, what it was, it represented the presence of God. And so, you know, today we show up to church, but we have access to God all day, right? Anywhere, any place. But this was incredibly significant for them um, during this time. I mean, that was the place that represented God's presence. It was God's house in a unique way. And so um, 
they, were, uh, they would show up to that week after week to do that. And this temple, um, it wasn't a small place. Like we have a pretty big church. The temple complex that Jesus showed up to was about 35 acres. Um, so a little bit bigger than what we're sitting on here, <laughs> kind of those terms. And so Jesus began to show up and he began um, just to, to drive people out. The area specifically that he focused on is what you'd call the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles were people who weren't Jews. And what the purpose of this was is for people that couldn't enter the temple. You see, Jews were kind of a little racist. They were God's chosen people. They didn't like other people meddling in their business. And so inside the temple was reserved for Jewish people. The outside of the temple, the court of the Gentiles was a place where um, everybody else could come. That if, if you loved God and you were devout, but you weren't Jewish, this was your place to show up and worship because you weren't good enough to enter the temple. And so Jesus, I don't know if you guys know this, he came for all, right? And so Jesus shows up and he begins to drive people out of this area, um, really to make a statement. I've come for all people. God's come for all people, not just for those inside the temple, not just for the elect, but, but for everybody who wants to call upon his name. And Jesus begins to drive people out. In this area that Jesus drove people out of, it was not a small space either. It was about 10 acres of space. I mean, just imagine that. And so we have Jesus, he shows up to the temple. This is his second day. And, and this is the week he's gonna die. And this is what Jesus chose to spend his time doing. It wasn't his bucket list. It wasn't spending time with his family, with his brother, with his mother. It was going to his father's house and to begin clearing it of the things that had defiled it, of the people who had defiled it and making a way, making a statement. This day was no insignificant day in Jesus's life for ministry. And that's why he chose this, his final week, to begin to make that statement. It's why it's so important that, that as we come into Passion Week, that man, Palm Sunday is great. There's incredible things to learn from that. But the entire week of Jesus's life was profound. His entire life was profound. It was significant. Everything that he did in his short amount of time was calculated and was for a purpose, including this. And so we're gonna look at this tonight. And so after he cleared out the court of the Gentiles, um, in verse 17, it says this. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Say all nations. All nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. And so Jesus, he said, man, you, you've turned this into a marketplace where they had stalls, they had animals, there was corruption, and there was things going on. And, and not only was, had they turned his place into that, but it was meant to be a place of prayer for all nations. The, the court of the Gentiles was meant to be a quiet place of prayer, not a place to haggle with one another and not a place to fight, not a place to sell, not a place to change money. And so Jesus shows up and he's like, there's significant work that needs to take place here. And so again, he said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And so picture this, <laughs> picture this, Jesus walks into the temple and it's chaotic and there's stalls set up, and there's animals, and there's people haggling, and there's people shouting, and there's people arguing, there's people that are corrupt, they're ripping each other off, and all of this, and Jesus enters this 35-acre complex, and he comes to this 10-acre court, and he begins to drive people out, to flip over tables. Now, I don't have a big yard, um, it's about a half acre, you know, pretty just normal size yard. If I had a bunch of people in my half acre yard, it would wear me out to drive them out of that. But Jesus shows up in this massive area and he begins to, to take authority over it. 
and, and, and just to represent him in himself in a way that not only did they listen, they responded, they cleared out of this area. It's just an incredible picture. And so tonight, I wanna look at three things that we can draw from that. It's just a few short passages. Again, if you wanna look at it, it's Mark 11, 15 through 17. And we're gonna look at some things that we can draw from it. And point number one is this. Why did Jesus cleanse it? It's this, Jesus has work to do in the temple. And so Jesus, he, he spent time clearing this 10 acre court because he has something that he wants to do, something, some work to do in the temple. And so Mark is one of the gospels. You know, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all give an account of Jesus's life and ministry. And so we're gonna look at another perspective. We're gonna look at Luke's perspective. And so Luke, he was a Gentile. He was a physician. And so he did an account of Jesus's life and ministry for Theopolis. And he says this in verse four, no, chapter 19, verse 45 through 46. He said, then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, the scriptures declare... My temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And so you can see it's the same story, but paralleled. Now we use this because in the next verse, it says this, it says, after that, say after that. So after that, why did he do this? Well, after that, he taught daily, say daily, daily in the temple, but the leading priests and teachers of religious law and the other leaders of the temple began planning how to kill him. But they could think of nothing because all the people hung on every word he said. And so why did Jesus show up to clear the temple? Why in his last week did he do that? Because he wanted to teach the people daily that, that in this temple, in this presence, there was work to be done. It wasn't buying and selling. It wasn't the changing of money. That, that Jesus needed access to the court of the Gentiles so he could begin to bring doctrine and gospel message to everybody of all nations, not just those inside the temple, but, but any that entered God's presence during this final week of his life that he wanted to be able to show up and teach the people daily. And he wanted not only the Jews to have access to him, he wanted anybody that was seeking and searching. And so it's one of those things that gives a picture of what Jesus came as, as we are coming into Easter week. I mean, it's the biggest week of the church because it marks the significance of what he's done in our lives. And preceding that, preceding the cross, before he got there, he was giving people a picture of what he came to do, to give everybody access to him, to God, to his presence. And so he cleared out the temple, a 10 acre courtyard. Jesus cleared it so that he could teach there daily. And so again, point number one is Jesus has work to do in the temple. Luke 20 tells us that Jesus did two things. And I like this, this isn't gonna be on your screen, but Luke 20 verse one says, one day as Jesus was teaching the people, say teaching the people, and so Jesus was showing up, he was teaching the people. It was important that they had doctrine, that they had theology, that, that they knew things, that they didn't just hear a feel good message, but that they learned something. So he was teaching the people, he was educating them. And then it continues and said, preaching the good news. Say good news. He wanted people to know that, that they needed to be saved. That, that there was, that God had a way to deliver them from their lives. And so Jesus showed up daily, the last week of his life, he worked because he had work to do. And that work was to teach the people and preach the gospel, to share the good news with them. And so again, point number one, Jesus has work to do in the temple. The second thing we can learn from this account, point number two is this, Jesus is more than capable 
of handling business. Jesus is more than capable of handling business. And so um, <laughs> I don't know if any of you grew up with this, but my grandma, man, bless her heart, um, she had one of those awful paintings of Jesus where he's like malnourished, face sunken in, um, he's white and <laughs> just kind of hanging on the wall. And it was one of those things as a non-believer, I mean, it was just like, all right, man, I, I didn't even know what to do with that. Uh, but society, man, culture has always painted Jesus as this really meek guy, this really humble guy. And I imagine that there's characteristics of Jesus that fit that. But, but I believe this to be true, that Jesus was a man's man, that, that he was strong, that he was, he was an authoritative figure and presence. And, and when, people, when he walked into a room, I believe that people recognized him. That, that he wasn't some malnourished guy that was like a buck 10 to waste it in the corner and say, excuse me, can I please speak? No, he showed up and people recognized his presence. And again, when we look at what Jesus did, he showed up in the court of the Gentiles, a 10 acre square, he flipped tables, he made a whip and he drove people out of it. Does that sound like somebody who's a buck 10 that can't hold his own? No, Jesus is more than capable of handling business. I couldn't clear a half acre. Jesus cleared 10, 10 acres. It drove out corrupt people who were there for the wrong reasons. Do you think they went willingly? Do you think they went? No, that's their business. That's how they're making their living. They're ripping people off. And the thing that they're doing, and Jesus showed up single-handedly and he took care of business. He drove people out. But society paints this picture that, that Jesus was so reserved all the time and that he could do nothing, that he was a nobody and nothing. But that's not the Jesus we serve. That's not the God that we serve. And so I wanna share with you guys real quick out of Psalm, Psalms 18, one through three. And it says this, um, this is the Psalm of David. It says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and my place of safety. I call on the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. Now, that's a great verse. Sometimes I fall into the trap though and I read this like it's a love story. And it is, but, but not the kind that I have going in my mind. I mean, this is something, it's still soft, isn't it? It still sounds soft. Does that sound like the guy that's flipping tables over and clearing 10 acres of land? And so a little later in this same Psalm, I wanna share with you guys chapter 18, verses seven through nine. So just a little bit later, it said, then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of mountains shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke poured from his nostrils. That's the Jesus that I wanna serve and follow. Smoke poured from his nostrils. Fierce flames leaped from his mouth. Glowing coals blazed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. That's the Jesus that can kick the enemy in the teeth. That's the Jesus that can restore your marriage. That's the Jesus that can take care of your addictions. That's the Jesus that flips tables, that whips people in the courtyard and takes back what belongs to God. That's the Jesus we serve, isn't it? And so society has taken that picture away from and we read it like it's a love story and we need to be in a bubble bath with candles going on around us. But Jesus shows up, man, and he's got power. Jesus is more than capable of taking care of business. He was then and he is today. And a little bit farther in verses 10 through 12, it says this, mounted 
and a mighty angelic being. He flew, soaring on the wings of wind. He shrouded himself in darkness, veiling his approach with dark rain clouds. Thick clouds shielded the brightness around him, and he rained down hell and burning coals. Again, Jesus is more than capable of handling this stuff in our lives. And we have to begin to recognize his power and his authority, his capability to show up and to do something in our lives, to do something in our community, to do something in in our schools, in our homes, that Jesus can show up if we give him access and allow him to begin to move. And what the enemy wants you to think is that he is that that 110-pound, malnourished Jesus sitting in the corner. But we have a Jesus that's begging and pleading that we give him access to the courtyard and allow him to take out the trash and to move in our lives. But we have to give him that access. We have to open those doors and we have to say, Jesus, move. I'm ready. Jesus, I want to see you right into my life on that angelic being and start kicking down doors and taking back things and helping me fight. And so Jesus is more than capable of handling business. And that's the thing we need to recognize. That's why this story's in here. That's why when we look at it, that Jesus had a righteous anger, that Jesus showed up to do something, that this wasn't an insignificant moment. This is the last week of his life and everything he did was important and everything he did represented what he's capable of doing in our lives and the thing that he showed up to do. And so again, point number two, Jesus is more more than capable of handling business. And so the third thing we can walk away with is this. The third thing is this, that that today, now, in our lives, in this moment, in the middle of your storm, where you've allowed things to enter your life, where you've allowed God's temple to be corrupted and full of money changers, and people selling things that they shouldn't be selling and doing things they shouldn't be doing, that the Holy Spirit wants to take the work that Jesus did then and begin to do it in our lives, that he wants to clear out the mess, that he wants to teach, that he wants to preach, he wants us to know the good news, he wants to make a way for him to move and to work, that today the Holy Spirit wants to do the same thing in our lives. And God is no less capable today than he was then. God is no less capable today than he was then. And so the Apostle Paul, he frequently reminds us of something very important and often overlooked, that that today we are God's temple. That today we are God's temple. And point number three is this, we are God's new covenant temple. We are God's new covenant temple. And so what does that mean? I mean, the same love and compassion and concern that Jesus showed for God's temple during his final week is the same love and the same concern that he shows for each one of us when we give our lives to him, when we allow him access. And so um, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians three sixteen through 17. He says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you? That when we give our lives to Jesus, when we accept what he did on Easter weekend, you know, that that crucifixion, that burial, that resurrection, and we allow him to be Lord of our lives, that we become that temple for his Holy Spirit, that he lives in the inside of us, that he's not indifferent. And so again, Paul says this, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you. God will destroy anyone 
who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple, that you are that temple. And so you must seek God's presence. You must seek his cleansing, his ability. God wants to show up and move in our lives. God, God wants to clear the things out, the junk, the things that we've allowed to take camp, the strongholds. He wants to do something about that. And so as we're looking at, at his life, this final week, again, that concern is the concern he has for you. That desire to remove the junk so he can work, so he can operate, it's the same desire he has for each of our lives, that he wants to show up, he wants to clear, he wants to make a way so that, not so we can be condemned, but so we can be saved, that he wants to move in our lives and just to, and just to, to do those things. And so 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, um, because oftentimes, I don't know about you, but not only have I become indifferent of what I've allowed to take place in my life, often I refuse to see it. That the things that were taking place in Jesus's time, that, that when he showed up in the temple, the funny thing is that he was the only one flipping tables and driving people out, right? That his disciples showed up, they didn't seem to be indignant about what was taking place. That the priests that worked in the temple, they didn't seem to mind what, it, what was taking place. And as the money changers came in, as the people selling the sacrifices change in, this is what I'm confident of, that it didn't happen overnight. That it probably started with one table. It started with <laughs> one person and then it grew and then it grew and then it grew. Oftentimes that's what happens in our lives, right? We, we allow the enemy just a little foothold. We open the door a little bit and little by little, little by little, that, that our courtyard's defiled. That, that our lives become messy, they become corrupted, they become crowded with the things that keep Jesus from doing the work that he wants to do, that keep the Holy Spirit from being able to preach and to teach and reveal just the goodness of the gospel message, right? And, and so little by little, we allow those things to take place. And, and this is what happens. Not only are we indifferent, but we're unaware. That, that oftentimes the thing that I'm doing, I'm not doing it because I don't care, I'm doing it because I've allowed myself to move to this place where I don't even see it. I don't even see it. And so 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 7, it says this. This is a message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not preaching the truth, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with him, with fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so we need to become aware of what's in our life so that, that it can be dealt with, so that it can be cleared out, so that we can be cleansed for the work that God wants to do. And, and it continues in verse eight through 10. It says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But, say but, but if we confess our sins to him, if we become aware, right? If we identify those things, if we deal with them, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, then we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. That as we, as we look at this final week of Jesus's life, 
The thing that I want you to walk away with tonight is, is not that, that God wants to condemn you. Maybe that's been your experience in church. Maybe you felt guilt and shame every time you walked through a church door on a Sunday morning or every time that you encountered a so-called Christian and they just made you feel awful about yourself. But, but if we look at Passion Week, as we move closer to Easter, I want you to know that that's not the message that Jesus has for you. He's not indifferent about what's taking place in our lives, but it's not that he, he didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. He doesn't show up and want us to, to recognize the sin in our lives so that we can feel awful, but so that he can deal with it. So the Holy Spirit can come and begin to clear those things out and begin to wipe them away so that he can begin to do the work. So we can do the things that he called us to, the good work that we're called to. And so as we move closer again to Easter, that that's the thing we need to recognize, that, that Jesus is passionate about God's temple. We are his temple when we give him access. That, that Jesus, he wants to do a work in that temple. That he wants God to be able to move. And so we have to begin to identify the things in our lives that's created distance, the things in our lives that have closed our eyes, to the direction of God that have closed our ears to his voice and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to clear it all out so that we can be taught, so that we can know the good news and so that we can grow and experience all that God has for us. And so to recap tonight, point number one was this, Jesus has work to do in the temple and we are that temple. We are that temple and Jesus has something that he wants to do in each of our lives, but we have to allow him access to begin to move. Point number two was Jesus is more than capable of handling business. That the God we serve is not weak, he's powerful, he's capable, and more than capable of handling the stuff in our lives. And so, again, if you're in here tonight, your marriage is struggling, allow God to move. Give him access to that. If your finances are not where they need to be, give God access. If you're struggling in addiction, give God access. Recognize the fact that he's more than capable of handling business. And number three was this, we are God's new covenant temple. Anytime that, that you hear or read about how passionate God was about his temple. That's the kind of love that he has for us and more so. That, that when you read about Jesus doing a work in that temple and becoming just so upset about the things that were defiling it, that, that he has that same passion for us to be cleansed and to be restored, to be honored, to be recognized, that that's the work that he wants to do in us so that we can be lifted up. And so we are God's new covenant temple. And so all of this, everything we talk about, it all points back to Jesus. Passion week points back to Jesus, Easter. <laughs> and so tonight, as we close, I wanna give you guys the opportunity to make that decision tonight, that, that if you're in here and you're, and you're like, I've never, I've never submitted, I never really understood. I never really recognized what Jesus came to do. And so if you're in here tonight and that's you and, and, and God's opened your eyes or opened your ears and began to move in your life and, and you, you now understand and see your need for him, 
Here at the end of service, we're gonna have our chip prayers and huggers up front and they would love to pray with you and for you so that you can make the best decision you've ever made and that's to make Jesus Lord of your life and allow him to do that work. Allow him to begin to clear those things out and just to, to move, allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life. And so if that's you tonight, we wanna give you that opportunity. If you're here and you've maybe done that in the past and you've gotten off track and you've blown it and you've messed up and you realize, you recognize tonight that you need to recommit, we would love to pray with you and for you so you can make that decision again so that you can come back home and allow God to pick up where he left off and begin to do that work again. And then if you just need a white chip, so our chips, our white chips, they're just something that... that signifies that, that you're laying something down. There's a blank space. You can write down today's date. You can write down what it is. But all you're saying is, I'm gonna lay this at the foot of the cross. I'm gonna allow God to move. I'm gonna hand this over to him. And so if you need to do that tonight, we encourage you to come pick up a chip. And then lastly, Jesus said his house would be known as a house of prayer. This is his house. This is a house of prayer. We would love to pray with you and for you. It's one of the ways that we journey with you. And so if you're in here and and you have just need of prayer or you just wanna come to God and celebrate the good things that he's done in your life, we would love to pray with you and for you. And so again, whether you wanna give your life to Jesus for the very first time, you wanna recommit, you need a white chip or you you just need somebody to pray with you, we would love to do that. And so I encourage you to come, come down and just join us. And if you would, as we close, if you would stand to your feet and join us for worship.